Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to another episode of Boots, Balls, and Bras, our podcast with Farah Williams, Earth Upon. And this week we have a very special guest slash friend, old friend of mine, um, semi-friend, semi-enemy of both Farah and I as well throughout our careers. Mm-hmm. But now Eartha, Farah, and I would call her a friend, the wonderful, amazing Bibiana Steinhaus, first female referee ever to ref in a top men's division on the whole planet. In the men's Bundesliga, give it a round of applause! Thank you so much. That is lovely. Referees never get applause. I really (laughs) appreciate that. So that's a really good start to a wonderful podcast session. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah, that's your first and last applause you're going to get from us, probably. (laughs) No, to be fair. To be fair, um, yeah, we're going to ask you all about what you're doing. We're going to have our halftime team talk all around referees and the match officials, not only in England, but what's going on globally as we've seen some females come into the World Cup. But first, let's kick off with the uh, Women's Super League, the league here in England results, because we had some really interesting ones. And BB, feel free to, you know, pitch in when you want to. But as you mentioned, it's not really your area of expertise in terms of judging players and teams. So we will allow you to sit this one out if you want to, but um, <laughs> let's kick off with the WSL. Um, Farah, what was your most interesting game that you saw on the weekend? I mean, it has to be the one I was at. Um, it was Reading against Tottenham, especially. It was, a, it was a game I know if Reading had a forfeit squad, they would have seen it as a game that they would have wanted to take points from, likewise Tottenham. But they had six players out with flu. Reading, so they had wow. a second string team out, but they absolutely wow. dominated the game against a Tottenham team that, you know, with the strength they have within their squad, the game shouldn't have been the way that it was. So it was probably the best performance I've seen from Reading all season. Very impressive in terms of, you know, dominating the ball, uh, chances created. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure Tottenham will be saying it's they had an off day, but I actually thought that, that Reading were by far the better team and actually rather than say that that Tottenham had an off day. I thought Reading were very good. So that mm-hmm. result, I mean, for, for Reading, it moves them seven points off the bottom. You know, a little bit of security in terms of that relegation, which, you, you know, they know that they're down there fighting to stay up. Yeah, number 10 now in the league. And your former club as well. Before, I mean, Arthur, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, obviously, Farrow's talks about the the quality of coaching and stuff in terms of the, the Reading um backroom staff I think do you reckon it's just something that sort of just clicks now at this sort of mid point in the season and as you said like with so many players out it shows actually the the depth in squad and actually the message that's going throughout the squad even the players that are not playing when the opportunity does come they're ready to step in and and obviously to translate that into into a performance I think what's interesting about the performance earth like Reading from when I went there they always played a 4-4-2 diamond which was different to anybody else in the league and I think as the players over the, you know, as they got weaker, as they started to lose big players, you know, financially, they probably had the the smallest budget in the WSL. I think as that started to happen, you obviously, in terms of the calibre of player is less, which means obviously the games are harder. And I think they went with a more defensive mindset, you know, back five and a four and a one. But it goes completely against what the coaches believe in. And the coaches believe in that style of a four four two diamond. Mm. Um, they played that against you know, we spoke last week about the Connie Cup and how important that is. Mm. They played that last week against Southampton and had a, you know, a really positive result and performance. And they Was that the know, first they, time, sorry, was that the first time that they had, they, they played that formation in the Conti Cup? Yeah, yeah, so it was what you said, that they're testing out formations, testing yeah. out players in that Conti Cup, which is another... So they, so they went back to that. They went back to mm. that at the weekend against Tottenham and, and, and it gave them more, you know, it doesn't matter about the colour of the players. If you buy into a game plan, which, you know, the players did, I think if you can execute it, you, have, you, you give yourself half a chance. The, the, the options they had on the ball were a lot more in terms of that attacking, you know, their crosses in wide areas, mm. the success of that, you know, in terms of, you know, Tottenham's success in wide areas in terms of deliveries was poor. 
So they had more bodies in the box. So they had better opportunities to score goals. So I think going back to what they believe in is obviously giving them half an opportunity. They've got Chelsea at the weekend. They don't expect to win that game. But, you know, in terms of that performance and actually believing in that formation, mm. if it's something that they stick with, regardless who they come up against, I think it'll give themselves a good chance going forward. And, mm. and I think it's so important. Obviously, you give respect to the opposition in terms of what they're going to do, but you have to have your own game plan and you have to be able to execute that yeah. and then obviously do the rest. Like, if we relate it to the men's game, I know there was a lot of talk around marking Messi and trying not to let him score in the World Cup and he still was able to do it. <laughs> yeah, but right. <laughs> it's about you have to do your bits right as well and obviously look yeah. at what's going to come up up against you. So, yeah, I think it, it's, I think it breeds confidence, like you said, in terms of being able to deliver what it is you've been learning over the past number of sort of seasons and then to be able to actually execute that in the Conte Cup it's got, as you said it's building confidence and then bringing that into the league and who knows they might sit back and nick some points of Chelsea yeah. <laughs> well they, yeah, only got it, one, they only lost 1-0 to Arsenal so they, they, again you know they put on a, a good performance there BB's mm. ready to jump in here what you got to say yeah, get in oh, there, I, I actually was going to I was going to compliment the referee, but I'm not doing it. I'll wait for you to say what you got to say and then I'll let you know. <laughs> I just think it's so interesting that you mentioned the different formation that they have played because I was delighted to see that the team of officials are aware of this different setup and are preparing the teams and the setup of both teams and kind of get into the mindset of what to expect. What are we looking at? What are our key players here? What are the targets? So this is, I'm, I'm, I was delighted to see that from my perspective, Farah, and I play the ball to you in a second, that the team around Carl Brook did really well. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think they, I think that's the best, best. I mean, I'm going to put it out there. The best officiating I've seen all season. And actually Whoa. said that in commentary. Yeah, they were, he was very good. I think, and as you say, I think when you're playing, especially when you play that diamond formation, you normally get a blindside press, which can look sometimes, you know, like it's going to be a foul because the player that's receiving it can't see the, the, the press. And sometimes it's often not, a, a, you know, a free kick and referees normally give it. I thought he was really good in his decision making. And certainly the penalty shout for Trosgaard. You know, especially from the stands, it looked like there was contact the way she went down. And on the replay, it was clear, no contact and, and a dive. But his positioning for that was was really good. So, yeah, you're right. I think if, if they understand the game referees and they understand formations, they put themselves in a good position to read the game two or three steps ahead like players do. Mm. Absolutely, because this is what what we're trying to do. Look, I understand that we always have these discussions and come on, Farah Bags, I refereed a few <laughs> times. So let's be honest here. <laughs> you always accuse us referees of like, well, you might understand the laws of the game, but you don't understand the game, right? <laughs> so here we are working really, really hard to get exactly that understanding that you mentioned, Farah, mm. yeah. to understand the match plan, oh. to know what to look for, to to um, build our movement and our decision-making into the process of what, what the team formations look like. Mm, I think mm. it's important. As you say, the positioning of the referee is important to get the decisions right. And I know you obviously get it wrong. I think just sometimes with refereeing, it's more a case of when they make a decision and you know players can be frustrated with that, that they don't communicate. You know, it's the, it's the go away, I don't want to talk to you. I mean, Bibi, you were good at that. I mean, I, I mm. spoke to you pretty much all the time you could have given me many of yellow cards because I was always in your ear but yeah it's referees that can communicate I think are the, the, the referees that I think players you know respond better to. So yeah. just a question on that maybe is it a recommendation or is it good practice in terms of like would you encourage referees or aspiring referees to do like a coaching qualification to learn about different formations or is it actually you see it in terms of the transition of players into uh, referees and do they are they able to sort of read the game that little bit what do you see from the top? Awesome question. I thought like two really good points here. Like I, what, what I believe in, really believe in is that if you want to be the best you can be, you need to understand the game. You need to change the perspective. You need to get in people's head to understand what they are looking for. And as as a home team, you are preparing your away team. You know exactly everything about the players. You know the strategy. You have an expectation what the what the formation may look like, and you prepare your match plan. If you don't do the same as an official, you fail before kickoff. Mm -hmm. 
So this is my take on it. Like we're really working hard on like getting to know the teams, getting to know the formation and what does it actually look uh, means for the referees then? Like what what is the second step then? What does it mean for us? Like how do we move? What do we look for? And it's it's not enough for us to follow the ball when it's played. It's to know where the ball is going before it's even kicked. Mm. You want to be ahead of the game. Mm. So um, that's what we are working really, really hard on. And this is why we we welcome players into refereeing. Come on, who knows the game best? It's <laughs> you. You have been playing. So I can see one, two, three possible <laughs> candidates signing up for the next referee call. You do, not, you do not want me in a referee. No, I'll be playing on to so many tackles. You'll be like, this, she is a risk to our, to our game. Play on. I'll be like, yeah. play on. <laughs> she broke her leg. It's fine. Get up. <laughs> Brush it off, and I'll be hobbling around on the pitch, one-legged. So exactly. yeah, I reckon you, you've got qualities, maybe one. <laughs> the qualities of understanding the yeah. game, knowing yeah. players, Definitely. and as well, like you know when it hurts, you know what to expect, you know when to show empathy and when to be strict. How to deal with coaches, how to deal with technical areas, like how to approach people, because you know it, because you you have a certain type of thing you look for when you have been approached mm. right so like getting this knowledge together i think is an amazing chance for like ex-players that your second best like if you can't make it to the second uh, to the national team your second best choice of listening to a national anthem is being <laughs> on the field of play as a referee baby sign me up i am there sign me <laughs> up I'm my you are in. Now. <laughs> recruitment, recruitment number one there you go oh uh, it's so good i mean we're gonna get more into the, the, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get more into the refereeing um i think maybe earth needs to start maybe with a little bit lower divisions potentially before she gets to wsl um but back to the wsl because there were some other interesting results on the weekend that and it'd be interesting it's always good to hear the referee perspective as well as you know former players and um, and what we're thinking as well. But Man United beat Aston Villa 5-0, still, you know, clearly at the top. Arsenal scraped by Everton 1-0. Uh, Liverpool beat West Ham 2-0. Man City beat Brighton 3-1. And another really interesting game was Chelsea-Leicester City 8-0. Well, 0-8. It was at Leicester City even. Um, that was yeah. interesting as well because in the French League, Lyon beat Dijon 8-0. So you sort of look at the top and you go, mm, what's going on here? But thoughts on that game because I, I thought that was um, a hugely decisive win as well. We were talking last week about Chelsea, how they're kind of, you know, quote-unquote boring, meaning they're in control of the game. They score their goals. They sort of control the game. It's never really that risky from a, pers you know, from a spectator perspective. But 8-0, big change. Yeah. I think a couple of things. I think in terms of the Arsenal game, I know it was only 1-0, but the goal was peppered by Everton, right? In terms of, what, I'm sure, what was it, over 30 shots? 33 attempts at goal <laughs> and one goal scored. Absolutely oh. crazy. I think it was about 19 on target. Exactly. So score one goal. You heard Jonas said after the game, didn't he, in terms of their being efficient in front of goal and composed, he said they lacked that at the weekend. I mean, mm. 33 shots and only winning 1-0. I mean, I'm sure he'll be, yeah. he'll be pleased to go away with, with a 1-0, mm -hmm. having lost, you know, a similar game last season to Leicester, which actually cost him, oh, sorry, Birmingham it was, that actually cost him the league. So, True. you know, when they dominated that game, they, they actually lost. So I think he'll be pleased with the three points. Uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting yeah. in terms of the Chelsea game. Um, obviously, United had played earlier on. It was 1-5-0. Five, five and then Chelsea just rocked up. And by half-time, there was already 5-0 up. I was like, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're not taking it as any pressure. They're just doing what they do every week. Um, and as we talked about Wrighton as a as a left-back, it's always good to see uh, to see quality. But four assists and a goal in the first half just demonstrates that there's right. there's goals from it coming from all across the pitch. So like mm. you said, BB, you can't prepare for any one particular space or, or player when you have that widespread in terms of depth of squad, there's goals flooding in from everywhere and, and that's what we want to see in terms of the quality across the league. But uh, for eight nil for Leicester, Chelsea. I mean they lost eight nil last season away at the same ground, the same score, same score line. It's like they haven't learned their lesson. What are you saying? Don't put, it at, don't put it at that ground. Don't play Chelsea. Maybe, just don't maybe. play Chelsea. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, in terms of, like, we keep talking about the growth of the game, like, mm. it, it's mad. Like, my opinion of it is, is that there should be more teams in WSL 1. 
right? Because you think at the bottom, the teams like Leicester and Reading and Villa and, and all of these teams, Brighton, they can't beat or compete with the top teams. So if you have a couple more teams from the WSL, at least that bottom is more competitive and you get to play games where you're not fighting for your life. It's more competitive. Mm. You know, there's, there's the, 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 the quality between the top and the bottom is too big. And mm. to only have 12 teams, I think, you know, a couple more that, that, that come into the league, certainly it will make that more, you know, the bottom half of the league more exciting. Players are more motivated to play those games because, you know, you, you can't tell me playing at these teams that, that are down at the bottom that it's motivating every week to have to go and, you know, no fight way. for your life to just try and get anything so that you don't get a thrash in. It's not. It's not a nice feeling as a player. And you that's know, why I like mentioned the Conti Cup is so important in terms of, of getting those games. Course. But do you think um, the championship, so the next league below the WSL, do you think that the t next, let's say, four teams could compete with yeah. the bottom four of the WSL? Because you're shaking your head no, because yeah. that would be my biggest worry, right? Because you still have to have the finances yeah. to play in the WSL. You still have to travel all around the country. You still have to be able to recruit and pay players at a WSL standard. Are we there yet? I think right now we're not there, but that's mm. because they're not professional. So if you look mm. at that WSL uh, two. That there's probably only half of them that have gone professional this year. And so it, look how long it's taken WSL1 teams to understand what professional looks like, how to do a day-to-day -day training, what, how many amount of days do you have off, how many hours do you need to actually be in on the grass or, you know, in, in, the, um, in the, I'm saying in the office, but in, in, in the room yeah. doing your analysis and the gym. So clubs down there are only learning that now because they've only just gone professional. So they're probably not ready. The likes of Bristol probably are because they've been, you know, that yo-yo team up and down mm -hmm. in terms of WSL. But maybe London City Lionesses, they've been professional now for a few years. But I'm just saying, if you was to put those two teams in and make a 14-team a league, then I just think that, that for those bottom teams, they've got more competition, more motivation to want to play. Mm -hmm. You know, Leicester, I mean, those Leicester players must be dreading every game knowing that, you know, they're potentially not going to get a result. And how many yeah. can, you know, can they not concede as opposed to, you know, actually thinking about a result in that game? Mm. And interestingly, Liverpool beat West Ham on the weekend as well. That was 2-0 uh, at Liverpool. So that means that uh, Liverpool moves up to ninth place. West Ham is still at six. But like you just said, you look at Chelsea, Man United, they're 24-21-21 with Arsenal, 24-21-21 points down to 18. So they're still, and then it drops way off to 12, 9, 8, and then all the way down to 7, 7, and then zero with Leicester City. Mm. So between zero and 24 with nine matches played in terms of the spread of points that is that is a massive gap and you and you think about you know where we are in the WSL compared to other leagues and I mentioned the the French league beating you know Lyon constantly beating these teams 8-0 and um but we're having the same thing here so it is it is important isn't it to make sure that that spread doesn't get too too wide that we have the right structures in place behind that where the finances are being spread and and also like for referees it must be interesting too because if you're refing you know one of the top games um, what a difference between two of the lower teams in the league, between a Manchester United-Chelsea match as well. So, you know, choosing referees and selection must be quite interesting as well, BB. BB, do you feel, BB, can I ask a question? You know, when it's them games where one team is dominating, do you ever feel to, like, knock some time off? <laughs> <laughs> no, never. Like, Brutal. I only do 90 minutes. Like, that's it. I'm like, I'm like please just take five minutes off. <laughs> uh, no, but it's, it's really interesting, Bax, what you've mentioned when it comes to, um, let's say, look, Arsenal play Tottenham, Tottenham-Arsenal. 47,000 spectators. How amazing is that? What a crowd. And this does, like, that puts extra pressure and extra attention and scrutiny on the players, but also on the officials. Mm -hmm. And you need to be ready for that stage because you are taking massive decisions there. You know that every decision that you take can influence the outcome of the competition, the outcome of the league at the end of the day. Mm. So it is big, it's huge. And um, like taking this responsibility and getting prepared, mentally prepared as well for what you are facing is so crucial. So from actually from this season onwards, we have psychology support constantly for our officials to work um, on a mental base, to get in this mindset, to deal with everything that you're that you can see all over the 
the places and then you have these like massive games and then you have some some smaller venues as well where you can clearly see like by the results you have just mentioned how much impact a decent crowd a really good crowd at a home venue can have to push the players to raise them to the next level so everybody who's listening in here and supporting a team make your way to the stadiums because you can make the difference that brings their motivation to the players yeah. it's interesting bb says that bex remember like, uh, what was it maybe when arsenal played tottenham at the emirates right. we spoke about the tottenham players at more in terms of the exposure to play in front of crowds like that mm -hmm. you know Arsenal players are used to that week in, week out. They do that, whether it be at international or, or at Bournemouth, they still have three, 4,000. Spurs don't. So those players going to the Emirates in front of 45,000 is daunting. And they were, you know, that game, they wasn't good at all. I mean, I was there and they wasn't good. But I guess you're right in terms of refereeing. It's the same, right? That, you know, that expectation on them to, to deliver in front of big crowds, which we're not used to in the women's game. And certainly women referees within the English game are not used to. So, yeah, I guess that as players, you don't consider, you know, their preparation in terms of going into those those big games with big crowds where you know the noise is in you know enhanced um and their decision making and you know with, with with the crowd probably you know against them if they make the you know certainly the home crowd the wrong decision i was yeah. gonna say like do, did you ever feel because you refed in huge matches bb what was your biggest game you've ever refereed Besides uh, the biggest game, I'm not going to be happy. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Besides England, crowd, New Zealand, obviously. My, yeah, my biggest crowd was at Wembley Stadium Olympic Games final oh. when uh, Japan played the USA. Mm. 2012? Uh, it was tw yeah. 2012. London. Yeah, sold yeah. out. That was pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Baby, what was the. Go ahead. I was no, going to say, because you refed another top men's, was it the European? You can say that now. You can say the yeah. men's now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh. it's, it's great that we have female referees that have, you know, gone to the top. I'm saying the top because obviously the men's in terms of um, how long they, they've they been professionals and how big the game is. It's great that, you know, females are able because, I mean, Bibi, you've refereed in the men's game in terms of the levels and the demands of the men's game, the speed of it, the decision-making you have to be up there. I, 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 you have to be. You have to be good. There's no hiding away from it because you you will just get found out. I think in the women's game you can get away with it a little bit because the game's a little bit slower. Only now that it's getting now it's professional, it's starting to speed up. But in terms of the men's, there's no hiding place for officials and certainly not female officials. And it's like, well, one of my probably biggest games in the men's competition was my first ever. Um, match I refereed in the Bundesliga when Hertha Berlin played Werder Bremen. Um, like, let's say only around 50,000 in the stadium. But this game was broadcasted live in over 100 countries all over the world. Can you imagine how many people are sitting in front of TV and watching the game because of a female official first ever refereeing in that competition? So the pressure that is on you and on my team on that day has been tremendous, like really huge. And this is where you 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 get to go, you need to go to a mental state that you can deal with that, that you are that you are entering the field of play knowing that you have prepared everything that is within your power to be ready for that game, that you have prepared the teams in the best way possible. You're physically in the best shape ever. You, your nutrition has been top. You know the loss of the games inside out and every possible decision that it's thrown onto you, you will have in your stride. And this is the only way you can battle these 90 minutes. And now let's head into our halftime team talk because we want to get into Bibiana Steinhaus, first female referee in the men's top division anywhere on the whole planet. Um, what female refereeing is looking like in both the women's game and the men's game and just what you're doing here in England as well. So, Eartha, I think you wanted to kick off with a question, didn't you? Yeah, I was, I was just saying in terms of all that, the preparation that you have in terms of referee, mental state, physical state, 
where does where does equipment come in into that? Obviously, with our podcast being boots, balls, and bras, as a female referee, how how does that stand with you in terms of like resources and how you're feeling in terms of confidence and moving around the pitch? Does that do you have to prepare for that as well as a ref? Absolutely, because this is what the world sees. Like your communication skill, not just verbally, your body language needs to be spot on. You need to feel comfortable in the equipment you go out. It took us years to get female referee shorts, okay? <laughs> so it it's just, well, we are on a journey. We are on a journey and we're getting more and more um, professional and equipped in that way as well. So then you you keep you keep all the you're working with all the communication um, sets that we have now. So everybody is mic'd up. You can speak to each other. You have um, yeah different support systems that should enhance your performance on the field of play to mm. build everything into. Well, I and have it- to say, no, no, no. Beck's really important here. Whenever we get together with our officials um, on our weekly calls to summarize uh, the weekend. We always start with five laws of the game questions. So here we are. Your knowledge is going to be tested. You are wearing international kit. You have listened to to your national anthems on the field of play. I expect you to be on top of that. Right, let's go. So, okay, okay, okay. Before we before we start, I'm gonna say it right, wants right to now. Bet. I don't care about the laws of the game yet because I'm just looking at it from a player's point of view, <laughs> and I think some of the laws in the game are just crazy. But anyway, we'll talk about that. Let's ask the question. Yes, let's come back to that. That's a really come interesting on. point. Mm-hmm. That was a good okay. excuse, but you're gonna fail it. Don't worry. No worries. <laughs> I As I always do. To be fair, most exams I failed, so no problem. This is no. one. Do you know what was one. so interesting before we get started? Like when I first started working with the referees and with BB, I could not believe the intricacies of the laws of the game that I just was not aware of. And not only from player, then obviously I worked at FIFA, so I organized the Women's World Cup. So I had to know the laws <sighs> of the games. I had to know the competition regulations, regulations. And still there's things that I constantly get caught out on and the laws are changing and it's absolutely mind blowing. Like I think if players knew more and if fans knew more about the laws of the game, we'd have a lot less dissent against referees because we, most fans don't know anything. Because they change so regularly. They like change so regularly. If I do well, BB, I want to be WSL game by January. Yeah, Yeah, fitness test as well. Let's go. That needs to be ticked off. Nah. (laughs) Uh-huh. <laughs> all right let's do well, this hit us okay you, you have found like five minutes of excuses already yeah <laughs> so just saying no pressure but you better get that right so first question around law seven does anybody know what law seven is Cantona. sorry say it again <laughs> no i don't know what it is <laughs> i'm gonna go with um like yellow cards and red cards cautions mm-hmm. Now that comes later. Okay. Anyone else? I'm not, I'm not even going to guess. Okay. Okay. Next question. No, comes okay. later as well. It's a duration of the match. Duration okay. of the match. And I raised that, raised that question you, with you because at the World Cup we have seen plenty of additional time, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what is, um, what are the incidents actually that you allow? Um, time to be added. So an allowance for time lost in each half should be made for which of the following? A, goal scored. B, substitutions. C, assessment of injured players. D, caution or send-offs. You can choose more than one. So goal All of them. All of them. I'm going all four. All four? They all take time. Celebrations take time. Substitutions take time. Injuries take time and, and booking in terms of your co- communication. So all four for me. What was B again? B was the substitutions. Mm-hmm. So we have gold scored. I'm mm-hmm. saying four. I'm going with all four, BB. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Bex, what you are doing? Oh, God. Well, I don't gold, think... Substitution, assessment of injured players, caution, send-offs. 
Um, definitely cautions and send offs for me. That's a D. That's a yes. Uh, what was C again? Assessment of injured players. <laughs> yes, that's a definite yes. Um, substitutions. I'm not a hundred percent. I don't know about substitutions. Right, I could walk off, and I remember they used to tarry me. So that's time wasted. Yeah, and then okay. a, I don't know if it's goals. I think goals. If there's excessive goal celebration, then potentially. Otherwise, I'm not. Mate, yesterday, Brazil celebration must have took five minutes. Who's? So, Brazil, the celebration. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, That's what I'm saying. For like an additional, you know, excessive goal celebration. So I would I would have said all four, but I feel like there's a, this is a trick question. I feel like it's not goal scored, but like excessive celebration and goal scored or something like that. This is that's, the problem. The referees always try and trick us. Just yes, that's all it. of them. That's it. <laughs> all of them. That's it. And then, and then it's simple. Simplify things. All of them. Okay, Eartha, what are you saying? I said I said four and three, which <laughs> so is part D, of seven. C and D. <laughs> oh, jeez, Louise. All right, Eartha's okay, wrong. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, Farah is like almost correct. And Bex has exactly made um, the clarification to it. So goals, the the time when time is only added when goals are scored, when there is an excessive celebration. Ooh, you have seen that before. <laughs> I mean, excessive celebration. I was hoping you knew that, Bex, because you do I work know, with I referees. Should. You have an advantage. I should. I one hundred percent agree with you, Farah. However. So was I right then? Because I said four if it was if it was excessive, but actually it's three. No, sharp earth. <laughs> <laughs> you can have the next one then. The next okay, so one. it's so the answer is B, C, and D. B, C, and D, and only um, goals if there's excessive uh, celebration. Okay, next question. Perfect. A player who has been named on the team sheet and is on the field of play just before kickoff commits a red card offense and is sent off. So I read out three statements to you and you tell me which one is correct. Oh, okay. God, I already know what the question is going to be. <laughs> so she cannot be replaced by a substitute and her team will start with 10 players. She can be replaced by a substitute and the substitute can be replaced by a newly named player coming onto the team sheet. Or she can be replaced by a named substitute who cannot be replaced. This means that during the match, the team will have one less person on the team sheet. This is a trick question. <laughs> Wait, what? I didn't even understand it, it, it the third one. Be all of them. That makes sense. The third one, basically, if she plays, it means you have one less player on the, on the substitutes. Mm -hmm. So if you start with 18 players in terms of subs and the 11 and 7 subs, you'll end up with 11 players and 6 subs. So you've got 17 players you can choose from. Oh, yeah. That's Ooh, what that So you can. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So you can, oh, so that was yeah. where you can yeah, substitute. Yeah, but I'm, I'm confused because it, it's like, I would I would question if the player that is sent off, right, mm -hmm. isn't a starter, mm -hmm. then they're going to start with 11 players. She's only replaced off the bench. Yeah. So therefore, Correct. that number one has to be void because we, you, haven't, you haven't said in your question whether she's a starter or not. Mm. So I one did. Is that, okay. You said she was no, a starter. You didn't, you didn't say she was a starter. I said she was on the field of play. I assume only the starters would have been on the field of play, play, but I take in the warm up. I thought you meant the warm up. 
No, before the before the game starts. Before the kickoff. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So then, but it could have been warm up before the game starts. Could have been warm up technically. So far, I'm with. I can. I can see more. I think question. Go to one. Is it one? It's C. Was A. They start the game with ten players. I would say whatever that answer was. So you think A. So far, you think A because they start the game. She gets a red card. Well, she's already on the, the team, so therefore there can't be 17 players because she's already named. You've already said that she's named, so there can't be. So there's already 18 named. You've already said that she's on the team sheet. You have so 11, I say C. Yeah? I say you have C. 11 players. You have 11 players, mm -hmm. and you have a number of substitutes with, in this case, seven. Seven, yeah. So you have 18 in total, 11 on the field, and seven named as substitutions. Yep. If one of the 11 is sent off... Mm -hmm for a red card offense before kickoff, yep. then the 11 can start with somebody coming in from the substitution bench. Mm -hmm. yes. That works. So you start the game with 11. So but see. You, you can't replace, you you can't can't replace, replace the, the one on the sub. Correct. You can start the game with how many players can you start the game? You can because you can only have 17. Three no, shut up, her. You can play a game with eight players. You can play a match with eight players, right? You can start a game with eight players. You need a goalkeeper. Yeah, you need a goalkeeper. You haven't said if it's a goalkeeper that's sent off, so you're tricking us again. Bibi, that doesn't make any sense because the reason why you're sending off somebody, right, is for their behavior, whatever it is, yeah, right? So they should be at a disadvantage then because if you're sending somebody off, it's clearly to give that opposition a disadvantage. Can I give an example? It doesn't make sense to replace them and make the game even when it doesn't make sense. Well, technically, you're losing when you're starting players. So that is a disadvantage, right? I'm just putting it out there because that is a stupid thing. I don't get it. No, but there is a disadvantage because you lose your starting one of your starting players. You're already starting the game with like a substitute player. Let me try to explain. There's still a disadvantage. You're just saying it should be a bigger disadvantage of playing with 10. Okay, Can I so, give another example? Wait, 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 11 v 11, right? So we're, we're on the pitch now. We're 11 v 11. The game, the, the whistle hasn't been blown. We've done the toss-up, whatever. They're ready to kick off, right? A player then is abusive because I'm imagining that's why she gets sent off, right? Mm -hmm. The ball hasn't been kicked for kickoff. You send off the field of play, right? To then be able to sub her, you might as well just say, manage your sub her off rather than giving her a red card because it's pathetic that she can be replaced. So in that yeah, example, if it's your top scorer, if it's your top scorer, you lose one of your starting 11, one of your best players. Tamara still can play with 11. It's harder <laughs> to play with 10 than it is to play with 11. Still interesting. I think it's an interesting perspective. Urthay, go. Just a quick, because I think in the Men's World Cup, a similar thing happened, not in terms of being sent off, but the goalkeeper that was starting fell ill during the national anthem, right? And they were able to take that goalkeeper off and they put another goalkeeper on and then they still had their seven subs, correct? Yeah. So instead different. of being sent off, actually, in that example, if someone's feeling sick or something happens, actually, you don't want them to be disadvantaged just because someone's ill. You want it to be an even game. So they're still able to have that 11 v 11. That's why I'm going WSL in January. I'm going to get my <laughs> fitness running shoes on. That is completely different. Baby. That's completely different. I mean, if you're ill, like you shouldn't be punished for that. But if, mm. you're, if your behaviour isn't the, 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 within the laws of the game, you should be punished for it. But so she hasn't gone on. So why does everyone else on the whole replaced. team get punished for it when she hasn't even gone on the field to play? Why does the rest of the field, they're players... lining up ready to kick off? Nah, it's a team. Yeah, sport. but it hasn't hasn't started. Has a game hasn't started? But I think <laughs> we've got a middle finger Not already. To you, to, to I knew I knew this was going to be controversial. I was waiting for a middle no finger. More question, no more questions. No more questions of the laws of the game. I think we're going to move on now. Yeah, I think we do. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good idea. So, but you you got a flavor for what what we are actually doing and how how tricky it is. And um, we are. We are applying the laws of the game. We haven't written the laws of the game. And sometimes it's really important to, to just remind yourselves that the laws of the game are applied all over the world in every country. Everybody who's playing football is playing under the same laws of the game. So even if in some culture areas um, you might think like, oh, why, why are we applying this, this law here? Um, but when you take it to an international perspective, then things mm. become clearer as well.
Mm, it has to be a global standard at some mm -hmm. point, doesn't it? Um, let's uh, move on from the laws of the game because <laughs> as fun as that was, um, I think a really interesting topic and Far Earth and I were chatting about this like since it started, actually we talked about it on our last podcast last week about female the female referees in the World Cup. What? How does that work? Because you know, you've you could have actually been there had you been continued. And what was it like when you were refereeing? What is the impact, do you think, of having female referees? Because we said last week, who cares? Like, at the end of the day, it should be, who cares? They're good referees. They're good match officials. Who cares? But we know this is having a significant impact on refereeing. I want to hear what you think about it. How amazing. How amazing it was to see female officials on that stage, World Cup, broadcasted all over the world, like being seen as something normal in their actions. And if we're not talking about it anymore at some point, it might become normality. Because at the end of the day, I fully agree, it's all about performance. And if the, the official is male or female, um, whatever ethic, uh, ethnic background, religion, it uh, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you're doing a good job, you should be in charge of the football match. Mm -hmm. and, mm. and like seeing these officials, these female officials at the World Cup was uh, something very inspiring, I think, for, for girls and young women sitting at home watching TV and actually seeing a real chance of making that journey all the way to the top. And Actually, in England, we are very much ahead of the curve because for us here, it is so normal that we see female officials in, in all the different competitions all over mm. the country on the weekends. For us, it's already a normal picture. So, um, yeah, it's really yeah. interesting that we are now getting to this on a, on a world stage as well. You you talk about the different um, backgrounds. Like, do mm -hmm. you, like, if there's, if there's, say, there's, five or ten referees that are all equally exactly the same nothing is different as a as a lead in in refereeing would you think in terms of having an impact that actually you'll pick a range of different referees because you know from visually or the difference that it will have to have that wider spread or would you just think actually we're all the same it doesn't really matter like does that have an impact in terms of choice do you think about the bigger picture first or as well as the refereeing quality Diversity is so important. You want to you wanna watch a football match and you want to think like, I can be there. I can see my mates gonna be, are, are there. So I want to be there. If you can't see it, you can't be it. Mm -hmm. So like having this, this diversity around refereeing, like having this diversity around people who are playing football mm -hmm. is so important. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have a question around, uh, and it's only because obviously I've watched, I've been watching the World Cup games, right? And as I mentioned before, when I was talking about the, the, the women's game and the men's game in terms of the intensity and the speed in which it's played at, and and tell me if I'm wrong because obviously I'm not a referee, so I'm I'm I was obviously watching. I can't, I don't know the female referee's name that did the 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 Germany game, right? Stephanie Frappard. Okay, Frappard. There you go. I didn't want Just to pronounce French. it. Yeah, yeah, but but when I was watching, right, it felt as though, and I'm sure. Have you watched the game? Yeah, have mm -hmm. you watched it? It felt as though because of the the speed in which they play at. One, it felt like she was trying to gain an advantage in terms of her positioning, so anticipating as we spoke about the, the forward passing. But also, it, you think about the women's games for referees when you've moved into an area to assess the play. It's 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 easier for you to move out of the line of the the, the pass of the ball, right? in the women's game because it, it moves at a, a slower speed. But in the men's game, it moves so quickly. Sometimes I found that she was in the line of the pass, not not regularly, but she was in the line of the pass in the men's game. Now, how difficult is that? Because as I said, it moves quickly. I mean, even when I play with guys, some you know, I can't, when, I, when we talk about comparing the games, you can't, the men are so much more faster. So even mm. as a player, I'm not good enough to play with the men, right? But it's the same for the referee. At times I felt like she was, already trying to anticipate to gain an advantage in terms of her positioning but then also she was in line of some of the passing lines of the, of the players when they were trying to make passes am I wrong in that assessment that's what I'm going to ask no as you can see with male officials as well 
similarly. It really, yeah, it really depends on like how are the teams playing, and you have normally it's like really difficult when you have a like a the six and seven um, going around uh, the midfield area because that's the same that's the same um, area Halfway. where the referee where the referee is running as well. So uh, my night my nightmare always was like refereeing Bayern Munich with Frank Ribery. Oh, we cra- we crashed into each other so many times, so many times because we shared the same space. Mm-hmm. But uh, but then there's that question, and maybe obviously you don't want to be too away, too far away from your decision making, right? But sometimes in gaining that advantage, which which I felt she wanted mm-hmm. to do, she knew that they were going to progress with the ball. She was trying to get in a, a higher start position. Right. But I'm yeah. saying if you already know that and the speed in which it goes at, isn't it better sometimes to stay behind play and see from from that point of view? Or is that harder to make a, a, a clearer decision? It's very hard then to get the angle to the decision. Sometimes it's not about how close are you to the position. Sometimes it's how do you create the best angle to yeah. actually see the contact mm-hmm. or not no contact. So to to judge the incident, it's the angle is always more important than the distance. Okay, that's a good uh, life lesson too. Sometimes mm. it's just about shifting your angle to see things that's a little bit differently. I'm still saying that Japan ball was out, 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 one hundred percent. Anyway, but let's not go into that because I feel like that's going to be a lot of the game. But BB, what in terms of like you know now we see the women in the World Cup, great. But yeah. what, what were the challenges? Because arguably. I mean, I would put my neck out there and say you were good enough to ref the Men's World Cup. You were. Um, but there were politics, in my opinion, from my perspective. You don't have to comment on it if you don't want to. That stopped you from being able to referee at a Men's World Cup, which that must hurt just a little bit, FYI. Um, it hurts me a little bit as you know, a friend and someone who's seen you, know, seen you work so hard in the men's game and not be able to ref at the very, very top level of that. But what are the challenges that you see for female referees now? And what are the challenges that you're looking at and facing at the PGMOL, which is, if people don't know, the governing body for the fem- the referees in England and you run the, the women's side of that? Biggest challenges? Two things. I'm, I'm massively proud to be a puzzle piece in this legacy. So, because there have been female officials before me who were paving the way, you like who put like obstacles around, like on side, who who broke glass ceilings to give me an easier start to officiating, and I I I made this like I made this way even I made it hopefully an autobahn like a motorway, Autobahn in Germany, where you can go as fast as you want, right? So, like being, and for the next generation to move even further, like being part of this legacy is wonderful. And I'm I'm so delighted to be involved on the other side now to, to fight for this equality for our officials, to make sure they have the same possibilities, to make sure they are recognized for their performance, to make sure that they are putting every effort in to be the best they can be. So now like working on the structures and like supporting the officials on the field of play that they can actually focus on what they are doing for the 90 minutes, this is, a wonderful job. I love it every single day. And I love to fight for the girls. So can I ask, Is in that then, mm-hmm. are the WSL officials, are they all now full-time professionals? Everybody that referees in the WSL one? They are professional. They are not all. Are they, is it full-time? full-time? It's not full-time. Not I know they're professional in terms of, yeah, I understand that, but they're not full-time professionals in terms of pay and their sole focus is, is to be a referee. They are not full-time officials right okay. now, but we have uh, plenty of them are um, part-time officials, um, and they are. And this is very important for the officials as well. They are professional. Mm-hmm. The amount of work they are putting in, the amount of training, 
hours and days they're putting in, the preparation they're putting in, the travel they're putting. They have like an away game every single weekend. They never have a home game. They're traveling the country. So the amount of times they are putting in to be the best they can be, this is a professional approach. Yeah, I, so I'm going to compare it to when I thought I was, you know, professional. We're, we're playing the game, so you're working you're working full-time, and I'm trying mm -hmm. to be the best professional I can be in terms of giving all the hours to training, the, the travelling, the trying to eat correctly whilst working. So it's similar to when our game was amateur, right? But still, as much as I put in, I could never get myself to the levels that would require me, say, for example, international level. You could always t see the gap. You can get away with it when you're playing club football, and then you go to international, and it's like, man, I wish I was a full-time professional. My sole focus was just training, just playing, recovery, all of that, because the distraction of the work and the hours that you put in, doesn't matter how hard you work, you're still at a disadvantage because of you're tired, the fatigue and all, you know, the mental stress of work. There's a lot going on. So it's, I don't, I don't ever argue that these referees aren't trying to be the best that they can be. But when the game's turning professional and every now team in our league is full-time professionals, to then have part-time, although professional referees they're still at a disadvantage and it still then puts the game at a disadvantage and this is why we are here to work on these structures to to get these things done and over the line and make sure that the officials can focus and spend as many hours as they want on officiating to make a living out of it Mm -hmm. and I think and then, how far away are we from that sorry I keep asking questions how far away are we from say say for example just the WSL solely having mm -hmm. referees that are full-time professionals that's their profession how far away are we in, in 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 that I don't think we're far away from that but at the end of the day as always like somebody has to fund it as well right yeah that's, that's what that was gonna be my yeah. point that was gonna be my point because I think I mean Ursa feel free to jump in or two because but we talk a lot about having the structures in in and behind that are so important it's not just you know you get given a crop of referees make them really good baby it's all about recruitment you know like if if we're constantly showing on tv that it's okay that managers are screaming in the faces of the fourth officials and linesmen and referees who is gonna want to be a referee nobody unless you're you know a masochist so i think the behavior that is in the women's game that we have currently needs to be protected that you know there is the right way to treat people and we talked about this very early on in our podcast with the red card and behavior in the game and farah and i disagreed a little bit about you know what's what should be allowed and what's passion versus behavior that's respectable but which is fine um but i do think that you know, the recruitment element is a big one. And if we're not showing the respect and uh, referees aren't regarded as a, just another team that needs to be part of the game, that like you say, Far, if we have poor refereeing, it ruins the whole game for all of us. So why are we now then yelling at referees, screaming at them, giving them crap feedback when really we all need to be supporting them more because we need better referees. We need to recruit more people, more young girls, more young boys wanting to come into the women's game. So it becomes more competitive. So they become better referees. We need to be paying them more. We need to be training them better. We need to have more coaches. You know, your coaching staff has doubled this year, but you only had you and one other dude last year who do, did a fantastic job. So there's this whole big piece around referees, but the behavior element I think is, is a big one as well. You made one thing very clear here. We need to work together. We all want to develop and grow the women's game, the game as a whole, and we all have a stake in it. And especially in the women's game, we, we are so proud of our culture, right? The way we're treating people, the way we are behaving with each other, and the, the way we have grown the game. And look at the Euros in summer, like what a fantastic occasion. So now we have this time frame and I fear that it's just a small time frame to keep that culture, to protect the culture we have, to protect the culture that makes us actually different and stand out from every other competition. Like when when people want to go to the big stadiums with their kids, they are choosing the women's game on purpose because they like this family-friendly environment. They like how people are celebrating good football matches together. 
And this is the culture piece we need to save. And we all have we all have a stake in that. And the role models out there, the coaches, the officials, the key players, everybody involved need to be reminded that how we treat each other with respect is going to be the picture that we show the world from our competition. And you guys are the police. You know what? I just, it's, it's difficult because I don't think that, especially in the women's game, I mean, I don't think in any other game, whether that be through grassroots, whether that be through the men's profession or the women's, look, football it, it brings that passion. It brings that emotion, right? And sometimes, and and obviously, results matter, especially now in the women's game. For for coaches, results matter. They, you know, their jobs are not. Whereas you, you think ten years ago when I played, you could manage and get relegated and still have a job for for twenty years. Now mm -hmm. it's it's not like that. It's changing. These people are being paid as professionals. Their jobs are on the line, and decision making is important through officials, through their own team players. And I, I don't think it's anything that players or or, or coaches have at referees because. I mean, BB. I mean, all of you would have seen how I spoke to my own teammates when we make the wrong decision because that's what you do. That that passion and emotion that's within you as a sports person and somebody that is competitive is always going to be there, whether that be at the referee for for what they see as a wrong decision or whether it be at their teammate for a wrong decision. I don't think it's anything against the referee. I think it's more about how they see a decision being made, right? No, are we agreeing or we're just like, like, do you know what I mean? Because I've, I've sat there on the bench. I sat there on the, I've played. I've seen myself shout at players. I've seen myself shout at referees, but I've also sat there then as a, as a coach on the bench at Reading. And sometimes, you know, fourth official that when they're there, sometimes it's just about the communication and answering mm. some of the decision that the on-field referee is making to just calm mm -hmm. and settle the emotion on the sideline. When they're not prepared to do that, that's when I think it looks as if they're then being disrespected because then, as I say, that emotion then comes in, which turns sometimes to anger and it looks a lot worse than maybe what it is or could have been. Emotion is wonderful and emotion is part of the game and emotion should be there. That's what's driving it. But look, I have the application on my iPad, which is called the FA Player. So I can watch all the different matches in all the, like the Women's Super League competition, the Women's Championship competition. And if the journalists that are like the um, doing the moderation, if they are like kind of saying, I'm so sorry for the language you can hear, um, we're like, we're not able to cut that out, basically. I think that's embarrassing. Do you know the other thing too, like far to your point, like I, I hear what you're saying, I know what you mean. It's not necessarily directed at referees, it can be directed at anyone. But mm -hmm. my point is, is if the managers knew the laws of the game, they'd actually realize that half the time they're yelling at the referees or the officials, they're actually making the right decision but they just don't understand the laws of the game. So there's part that, there's part referees making wrong decisions, but at the end of the day, everybody needs referees to be better and everybody wants players to be better. Everyone wants the coaches to be better. And there's a lot of support for coaches, players, media, but where's the support for referees? And that, that's the part that I don't, I just don't understand that because we need it. We need them to be good from a game perspective. Or so what, what are you thinking? I was just going to say in terms of, like you just mentioned about making wrong decisions and having a go at the officials, is there any analysis done, BB, in terms of decisions or potentially bad calls that are actually mm -hmm. right, which are actually quite common in the game, where actually it means that people don't understand the laws of the game? And are these then maybe transferred to clubs to say, last season, these were the calls that were kind of people were up in arms against most more than others and actually we can see that this is the law of the game and this is why it was right so actually we start to educate them yeah. mm -hmm. in a calmer scenario so actually that transitions into them not challenging i guess the, the officials as much for those decisions because they understand it more is there that educational piece as well such Absolutely. a good question so such a good question. Hey, Erica's going on like she had good relationships with referees. She was terrible. In her questioning, it's like you're blowing my mind. Uh. <laughs> but it's really it's so important. Look, like in 90 minutes, a referee is to a referee team is taking up to 300 decisions oh. in every single game, 300 ish in every and game, every, yeah. And every single game is going to be evaluated. So every single decision is judged in right, wrong, 
expected, difficult. So every single one. So it's like the the depths of feedback that is going in there is massive. So we know all the different uh, decisions and all the all the judgments on that. And what we actually do then is you can see trends where where things doesn't go too well or go superbly well um, when it comes to, let's say, for example, handballs, when it comes to penalties, when it comes to upper body fouls. So you can see all of that. And then with our training and development we give to the officials, you can focus on exactly these areas. And when you mm. do that, you can see the next weekend, um, the decisions are better in this area. So this is like our tool, how we actually influence the content of our training as well. And it's really, uh, tell me another another occupation where where people, where employees are like judged on every single of the 300 decisions they do every single weekend, all the time. So it's, players. A, it's a tough player. Sure. When players are doing analysis and the coach is pointing the finger and they're clipping every clip, every bad decision you made as a player. Don't get, <laughs> don't worry, we get it too. But, yeah, but none of the good ones either, do yeah. you? It's no, like, it's very rare did. that you would get every single one of your clips. I but mean, Bibi, you do by question. the end of your mm -hmm. In terms of the, you're being educated in terms of the people delivering the job as an official. Does Why doesn't any of that information then go on to, like I said, to the teams, to the coaching staff to say, this is the common thing that you're constantly calling out because if we're looking at abuse and bringing the game forward, actually, want the, they're the ones who are given the abuse and are challenging the decision. So they also need to be educated. And then the more we do that, the closer they'll be getting to the laws of the game. And I'm thinking of you guys in terms of transition because then if they're good at laws at the game, you can recruit some more to become mm. referees as well. So for management and players... It's a it's a clear pipeline. I'm thinking about. I should definitely Eartha, like your, uh, <laughs> your like your thoughts are amazing because that's actually what it is. Like we are in constant conversations with the clubs, and we also like give them. Um, um, we have like meetings all together as well to go through some topics that are that are highlighted by us, by the teams as well. We get a lot of feedback from the teams, which you can clearly see that they have a lot of knowledge going on when it comes to decision-making processes and how do we get processes right all together. So this working relationship is so important. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, like Bex and I have seen uh, the journalists, the media, before the season started and before the Euros as well, to to go through some like hot topics that are definitely coming up that you want to be prepared because what you want is like you want to come across knowledgeable, you want to make good comments on air live which yeah. are factually correct in the loss of the game so it's like we're, we're all working closely together to make sure that we um deliver the best content and earth i'm sure we're like our next camp is in gen you definitely <laughs> should come along we need to catch take up my place. I've, got, I've got a great idea and i know it's going to work in terms of getting players on board so i can see in january guys in my referee <laughs> kit <laughs> I look forward to that. I really do. I'd like just like to watch you running around the pitch trying to keep up with the play at this, <laughs> this stage in your career. But no, it's so it's so interesting. I think one of the things that BB you've always done well, Far mentioned it earlier, was the communication. So as a as a player, you would always, you know, turn to me and say, Hey, uh, Captain, your number six is well, that was me. Your number seven is getting pretty close to <laughs> It's probably pretty accurate too, is getting pretty close to a yellow card. You might just want to have a chat to calm her down. You're like, you were always trying to avoid conflict situations, scenarios. Um, and I think I still owe you for the the time when I took out Marta at about seven minutes into the game and did not give me a yellow card. So I think that's one of the reasons why I am working with the referees right now is because I owe you. But you were really good at that. And that's what you've done so well here in England is Exactly what you're saying, Eartha. So important, the stakeholder management, talking with the clubs, getting feedback, feeling like clubs and players can talk to the referees and give feedback and get 
feedback um, back, I think is, has been such a shift in the dynamic of looking at referees and match officials, especially in this country. But ideally, that's how it really should be globally, isn't it? I would love uh, to say officially, uh, thank you for having me. It was absolutely <laughs> wonderful. And get ready for another series of Boots, Balls and Brass at yeah. the end of January, when Eartha <laughs> is telling us everything that she has learned at the referee camp. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> <laughs> we might be calling on you too uh, near the end of the season just to more, chat more about some more specific topics and uh, see how Eartha's career is going by then. Huh? <laughs> lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, BB. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Thank you. Have Thank a good you. one. Appreciate good it. Luck. Very good. Thank you. All the best. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, that was a very interesting halftime team talk and we will be having BB on at some point in the future. Um, and we will be uh, all betting on Eartha's refereeing uh, profession shift after this. But in the meantime, if you guys missed it, the FA announced that uh, Crystal Palace will be hosting at Selhurst Park, the 2022-23 FA Women's Conti Tires League Cup Final. That's on Sunday, the 5th of March. So get your tickets, get involved, get into it. I'm sure there's probably going to be a record attendance as has been the standard for the season. And that's pretty much it for us for this, this episode of uh, Boots, Balls and Bras. Uh, Farah Eartha, thank you guys as well. And uh, we'll see you all next week on Boots, Balls and Bras. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Ciao. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.